He's got a beautiful backswing. Dad, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What is good, everybody? Welcome into the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Jim Woodward with you as always. And before we get started, T-Dub, we had a great time on the radio show on Saturday on the Sports Animal in Oklahoma City. If you're in the Oklahoma City area, I want to let you know that we will be doing our radio show on the Sports Animal, the 73rd old radio show, until the Ryder Cup. So every single Sunday, 10 a.m. to noon, join us, text in, call in. It's a great time. And on Saturday, T-Dub, we were talking about the waste management and Scotty Scheffler is now your new number one player in the world. He shoots 19 under two shot win over Nick Taylor. John Rahm didn't have his best weekend guys. We can get into this, but T-Dub just initial thoughts on having a new world number one. Well, as we had mentioned on the radio show, the world new number one, yes, it used to have a lot of relevance to it. Yes, it's obviously a great achievement to have for Scotty Scheffler, who spent the majority of 2022 there. It just doesn't have the same ring as it used to. So, I mean, there's not a whole lot of relevance I'm going to put into that fact, just because in all honesty, I still think uh, Rory and Rom would, would consider to be, uh, just over the course they played over the last couple of months, better than Scheffler. Who knows if Scheffler goes out and wins this week, that'll change. But, uh, yeah, you just look at the overall – Aspect of the tournament, Scotty Scheffler just won it with his iron play game. 2.36 shots approached. By far, the most in the field second was Jordan Spieth at 2.07. So he, he was by far, head and shoulders, the best iron player. And then he was able to gain over a shot on the greens as well. And you look, look at John Rahm, who is really someone who I thought was going to put a little bit more pressure on the guys. He, he did shoot three under in the final round. Still wasn't his best. But I, what I really take out of it, Woody, was that John Rahm on his last uh, two rounds lost in the third round. He lost 1.55 off the tee, and he lost uh, .46 off of the tee on on Sunday. So, Woody, whatever happened to, to Rom's driver just wasn't there to be a catalyst for him, which kind of led to a Scotty Scheffler-Nick Taylor showdown, which is something that I didn't really prognosticate Sunday morning before the tournament started. I don't really think anybody picked Nick Taylor to stay in the hunt as long as he did. Saturday, I, I don't know. I've never seen Rom drive it that bad as he did on Saturday. Saturday was really ugly. Sunday, yeah, a little better, but but it, it wasn't John Romney, shall we say. I don't know. They're, they've been playing a lot of golf, and so he might be trying to do something maybe a little different. You know, the problem with good golfers, with bad golfers, with all golfers, we just can't help ourselves. We, we're constantly tweaking and constantly looking for uh, that holy grail or that better swing, and uh whether John Rahm was doing that or not, I don't know. I have no clue. But he didn't look as sharp, and I'm not sure exactly why. Woody, I watched every single shot on Sunday of John Rahm, and I have this one note written down, 
and underlined in bold, it says John Rom lower body aimed right with the irons and lower body aimed left with the driver. Did you see the same thing that I saw? Because especially like on the key shots, like on 16, when he pulls it left and tugs it left, his feet were aimed in the middle of the green. And John Rom, normally a little bit of a fader of the golf ball, that surprised me that he was aimed that far right with that short of an iron. And I feel like he tugged it because subliminally he knew he was aimed right. Did you see the same things or, or am I crazy? No, I did. Uh, I was, I, you know, here's the strangest thing about golf, guys. And, and you, you got to love it for this reason. Because we know for a fact the golf ball's not moving. When you address a golf ball, it's not going to move on you like all other sports. It sits right there. And the crazy thing is, is the target that you're aiming at, it's not moving around either. It's not jumping from right to left, up and down, anything else. They're both stationary as they can be. Yet we can't, day in, day out, line our bodies up square to that target. And almost inevitably, when you teach golf, this is especially true. You'd be surprised how many lessons I give with people who just can't line up at the target. And it even happens to the best players in the world, obviously, guys. So is he getting his angles a little bit off? Yeah, if you play a lot of golf, you start things start happening like that. So uh, it'll be something to look at when we get to Riviera, when he's playing Thursday and Friday. I'm sure he'll be on television so we can watch it. And, but that's good, good eyes there, Sam. That's pretty much spot on. I saw the same thing. Well, I think Woody makes such a good point because the, I would say of all the lessons that I give, 90% of, of problems are at setup. Whether it be alignment, grip, ball position, like you said, maybe sometimes the lower body is aimed correctly, but the upper body isn't, or vice versa. A lot of times I feel like people can line the shoulders up right, but if their hip line isn't accurate or their feet line, and in particular the hip line, I feel like in, in, in more important than a lot of those other factors a lot of people don't think about. It's so important. And to Woody's point that he was saying earlier about playing a lot of golf, you would think that the more golf that you play and the more rounds, the better your fundamentals get. But in my experience, it's actually the opposite because you get so entranced and just hitting the ball from point A to point B that you can get lined up three to four yards off target. And if, if everything isn't perfect, exactly parallel and perpendicular to where it needs to be with, with the metrics, it's going, you're not going to hit very good shots. and It's going to start coming unraveling. So, and I think for someone like Rom as well, who has to aim so far left to, to hit his fade, it looks like sometimes it's a driver. If he hit a dead tree, he's going to hit it 50 yards left of the fairway. So there's a lot of things that go into that, Sam. And I think that whenever you get in the course of playing a lot of tournaments, especially in a few weeks span, you need to just go back to the range, get the fundamentals, get the alignment sticks out, and figure out, just get back to basics. Jack Nicholas said he did that every single year in January. He'd go back to his swing coach, go back from exactly point A. We're going grip, fundamentals, ball position, all that important stuff. And I feel like that's where Rom really needs to do right now. And it's the same for every player in the world, honestly. No doubt about it. And guys, there was a lot of talk, at least on this show, about how Scotty Scheffler has not been putting well as well as he was last year during his hot stretch. Uh, really, since the U.S. Open, guys, he had only gained shots on the field three times putting since the U.S. Open. But this week I saw, especially on Sunday, Scotty Scheffler was rolling the rock. But I feel like it started off a little shaky on Sunday 
He hit two terrible lag putts on five and six. He actually putted one off the green on five and ended up making it for par. And then on number six, he made a five-footer after hitting a bad lag putt uh, and and made that for par as well. And I feel like those two putts kind of settled him into the round and allowed him to have the confidence to make the putt like he did on 16 um, and really close out Taylor, who's butt-puckered a little bit uh, at the end of that round, understandably so. But as far as Scheffler's putting goes, I I feel like this was a big week for confidence for him on the greens. And I feel like it really happened on five and six when he made those two key par putts, T-Dub. I think you're 100% right, Sam, because we've talked about this countless times on this show. The the par save can honestly have more impact than than the made birdie on a lot of occasions, which is really weird to think about. But but Scotty Scheffler, I mentioned earlier, gained one point over a shot for the event. But in the final round, he gained more than three shots putting, point uh, 3.16. And it goes to show that one of the things that's so hard whenever you're struggling in, in an, any of the aspects of golf is for it to be there under pressure because pressure exposes your weaknesses. And it shows that, that Scotty Sheffer is, like I mentioned earlier, number one player in the world for most of the time, putted so well, especially at the start of the year. For whatever reason, so many things can, can transpire to where your putting just leaves you a little bit, but uh, I don't know, Woody, maybe something about this time of year and the greens that we're going to see coming up, Scotty Sheffer loves, and uh, I I expect him to keep playing and and probably putting well going forward because with the exception of the American Express and the three tournaments he's played this year, he's gained more than .6 on the green, so I expect this trend to uh, continue going forward. Sometimes it's, it's, it's so hard to believe. Sometimes it's so easy to hit a golf ball right where you want to hit it. Sometimes the hole looks as big as a wash tub, and then all of a sudden, it doesn't. And I think that's why we love this game so much, gentlemen. It is absolutely impossible, impossible for a golfer to play at a high level for a long period of time. He is going to go into a slump or a down curve of some kind. And you can write it on the wall that when they're hot, they're hot, and when they're not, they're not. And it's as much mental as it is physical. Unless there's major injuries or something like that, usually it goes south in between their ears. It doesn't always go south with their stroke or their swing. It can, which then, you know, once you get your swing a little bit off, then your mind gets off. But nobody plays good golf all the time. So if you're looking at Scheffler right now, he's a pretty good guy to keep an eye on because if he's starting to roll that rock again, he's going to be tough at Augusta. No doubt. And I think he's going to be tough this week. I mean, it, it gets a little overshadowed after what he did last year after winning the Waste Management last year and then going on to win at Arnie's Place and, and the, the match play and then obviously the Masters. But in between those tournaments, he did have a tied for seventh at the Genesis at Riviera. He had a good chance to win there too as well. I mean, T-Dub, I mean, could we be seeing another hot stretch? Is the start of the year just going to be Scotty Scheffler every year, or does this year feel a little different than last year? I'm not saying he's going to win four times, but I feel like it would be crazy of me to say that he's not going to be up there in contention every single week for the coming weeks. Well, from the time of starting doing this podcast, what, about three years ago now till now, and being so much more invested in these tournaments, one thing I've realized is that players just play good at certain times of the year for whatever reason. And it seems like Scotty Scheffler has that going on from what we saw last year compared to this year. Yeah, he, he's 
he's on a track to, to keep it rolling. And I believe that Scheffler's, what, the, the third re- repeat champion of this year? Max Homan won the Fortnite, and then I can't remember who else repeated in the fall. But nevertheless, that's a trend that you really just don't see happen that often. And uh, another, it's, it's pretty interesting to see that uh, just how really top heavy that the game has been now with especially these elevated events we're going to see it going forward but uh, I, I don't know Woody is there anything to to that with, with players just playing right at certain times of the year is that something that you notice on the turf whether it be yourself or other guys where man hell in June and July this guy is going to be really tough to beat or maybe in the winter someone plays good do you ever notice that oh I think I, I do think that happens a lot more than people realize um I also believe there's forces for courses we've talked about that guys you know a guy's a guy at a certain golf course, he feels very comfortable. At a certain time of the year, he feels very comfortable. I found it, though, kind of interesting with you two talking earlier about where the tournament was won and lost. i got to be honest with you guys. I, I don't think I've ever seen three quality tour pros make as big a mistake as I saw on the 16th holes on Sunday. I mean, no doubt. first off, Scheffler hitting it left is one thing. But then when Nick Taylor and Rom both following them, both hit it left also, I, you can't – that's just a no-no to miss it over their left. And two of the three made bogey. The one that probably could have the easiest is Scheffler because he had the longest putt. Where I say it almost cost him the tournament, I think that's where he won the golf tournament because of that 12- to 15-footer he made right in the heart. But that was a major mistake, and all three of them made it. I was really sitting on my sofa going, wow, I just – I can't believe all three of those guys did it left of that pin. So I, I think it's funny how you you guys look at a tournament and how I look at a golf tournament. And I know those putts early were, were, were important. They were. But, boy, that one on 16 just changed the whole makeup of that golf tournament. No, you're exactly right about that, Woody. Um, speaking of putting, I want to get your guys' thoughts on one Ricky Fowler. He finishes the tournament at 10 under, tied for 10th. He only shoots one under in the final round, but there's been a lot of talk about Ricky Fowler's new slash old golf swing going back to Butch Harmon, um, and it looks a lot better. But if you really look at the stats, at the Farmers Insurance Open, where he finished tied for 11th, and then at the Waste Management, where he finished tied for 10th, where he really has improved on his play from last year is on the greens. He gained 1.42 shots per round on the field, on the greens, at the Farmers, and then at the Waste Management, he gains over a shot on the greens per round as well, and I think that a lot has been made of the golf swing, but I really start to see Ricky Fowler playing golf and not golf swing, T-Dub, and I think that we might continue to see Ricky play some solid golf coming up. I feel like that, that for any of us rooting for this Ricky comeback, that's been the thing that we've been talking about. People look at the swing, but to me it's the putting. His putting went away from him. He's one of the best putters. Everyone says he's one of the best looking putting strokes of all time, and, and the numbers reflected it for quite a while until really up until he started to really have his slump. His swing left him and his putting left him too. That's one of the reasons why he's fallen off an absolute cliff, but and it's another good finish for Ricky, another a second straight top 11 finish, which, which is very solid, especially for where he was. But looking at the stats, Sam, over uh, in the third round off the tee, he lost 4.2 off the tee. And then in the, in the final round, he lost 1.56. So That's right. we talked about earlier about the pressure getting there when things aren't there and, and the pressure, pressure exposure weaknesses. And that seems to be what happened with Ricky Fowler. And, and this is another testament, Woody. Ricky makes a hole-in-one 
on the se- on the seventh hole of the tournament. A great hole one. It was absolutely magnificent. But then he does the most classic Ricky thing I've ever seen. He goes bogey, bogey right after that to just eliminate all that good graces that happened. Woody. So I just feel like it's just Ricky almost a lot of times just shoots himself in the foot. He'll do so many great things. He was actually one of the leaders this week in what the analysts call great shots. But he was also one of the one of the bottom in what they call worst shots. So he would hit a lot of great shots, but those worst shots, Woody, as you know better than anyone, get on the PJ Tour. That your weaknesses are going to be what holds you back between winning tournaments. And I think that's what's happening with Ricky right now. Well, he's still in between golf swings. I, I don't. I'm not convinced he's just fully sure exactly what he's doing. As far as his putting goes, I mean pretty hard not to fall out of a ditch. He was terrible, guys. So, I mean, he's got to get better with his putting. He was, that was something that was just so bad with Ricky. So, is is there progress? Oh, heck yeah. I mean, he's got two top 15s, almost two top 10s. So, is he getting better? Yes. But is he, is he comfortable to a point of the winning the golf tournament or playing majors good yet? I don't think he's there yet, but but uh, I like a lot of what he's doing. At least he's showing signs of a Ricky, but you're right. Make a hole in one, then go back-to-back bogeys on 8-9. Eight, 8-9 nine. Eight, nine are not that tough of holes on that golf course, so I'm not sure where he missed or what he did, but uh, yeah. Yeah, he looks like he's going to make a move, then boom, gone. Yeah, and I think sometimes when you literally make an ace and just absolutely dunk one, I think your heart rate goes up and it's hard to kind of calm yourself down, especially when you're a guy like Ricky Fowler who hasn't been in contention in a long time. All of a sudden, you're propelled right into the middle of this golf tournament. And I think that that may have had something to do with it as well. We kind of saw the same thing from Nick Taylor, guys. You mentioned Scheffler and Rom hitting it left. Nick Taylor hit it left on 16 as well. And then uh, obviously didn't birdie 17 and had the U-turn. <laughs> it was one of the disgustingest U-turns that I've ever seen on, on 17. Um, it's just interesting that a guy like Nick Taylor played so well for so long. Um, I mean, he didn't bogey a hole until 16, right? That was his first bogey on, on Sunday. Um, but just watching him play, I was really impressed with the uh, composure that he had. But then you realize, you know, watching the golf tournament that he wasn't used to being in that position, especially coming down those last four holes or so. Um, but really great tournament from him. He, it was actually the first tournament that Nick Taylor uh, from Canada had ever uh, gained shots in every single strokes gain category. Looking through these stats, he didn't do it all of last year. So it, to me, I mean, I think that was his by far best tournament of his life. And so congrats to Nick Taylor on getting what, like two point. $3 million or something like that. It's still a huge week for him, T-Dub. 100% it was. And, yeah, to Nick Taylor over the past, what, four tournaments that he's played in, really all the start this year, has gained exceptionally amount of strokes on the greens. But really his, his iron play and sometimes his driving hasn't been there. But the thing that most impressed me, Sam, with him is that you mentioned for the whole tournament he gained strokes in every category. But in the final round he gained strokes in every category too. He gained more than a shot in every category with the exception – of off, of off the tee, so you're exactly right with, you really saw him sort of to, to not have his great, his full stuff down the stretch. He didn't make a birdie on 18, but it was clear at that point that he was going to finish second place unless he uh, unless he made a triple bogey because Scheffler had the tournament wrapped up, so it was kind of a lackluster birdie in, in that sense, but uh, just to be able to play the first 15 holes, really, or first 14 holes, I guess, because he probably should have birdie 15, to play essentially mistake-free was really good, and I want to bring up 
the, the purses real quick. So, because you mentioned that that Nick Taylor uh, won one about two, he won two point one eight million dollars out right here. Uh, local guy Taylor Moore, want to bring this up? He gained three hundred. He made three hundred thirty five thousand dollars. So, so that is exceptionally awesome and great for him. Keep him going forward. But the, the main point I want to make about these purses, Woody, is that Scotty Scheffler won $3.6 million this last week, which is everyone was talking about, rightfully so. Do you realize that he only won $1.4 million the year before? That is a $2.2 million increase. It's literally the exact same tournament. Yes, they, they made it elevated and brought some more players, but it was still an absolutely loaded field last year, Woody. So anyone who wants to come over here, and I'm not trying to bring Liv into this, but if you want to keep ripping Liv, you need to realize that this purse would not have increased, would not have more than doubled from what it was, if not for what Liv did and some competition. And everyone wants to say that well, me or we, this podcast, are these huge Liv supporters. No, for me, I've been saying for years that these PGA Tour the players should be getting what they should be compensated for. And Woody, this week is a perfect example of why competition was best for the PGA Tour. I'm kind of like you. I, everybody get on their soapbox one way or the other. But competition in any business is good. And there is no way, if if these on the PGA Tour want to throw rocks at Greg Norman and all this live, you guys go ahead, but you ought to be really ashamed of yourselves because you're playing now for more money than you ever possibly thought you could play for. And for one reason, and everybody can say, well, no, 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 they were going to do this anyway. Well, if they were going to do it, why didn't they do it two, three, four years ago? Which they had the money. They could have elevated their purses. They could have done this. It took Liv to get them to do it. And anybody that says it didn't, well, they they got their head in the sand. No doubt about it, guys. I couldn't have said it better myself, T-Dub. I think you bring up a lot of great points about how the competition between Liv and the PGA Tour is good for professional golf and at least good for the athletes. Um, There were a lot of other big names. Justin Thomas, Jason Day finished fourth and fifth in the golf tournament. Sam Burns uh, tied for sixth along with Sung J.M. and Jordan Spieth. And Jordan Spieth in that final round, guys, lost almost two shots on the field on the greens. He was the only guy for the event in the top 10 to lose shots putting. T-Dub, to me, Jordan Spieth is just not what he used to be when he gets in contention. He used to be a name, especially after he won a couple majors. He was a name that gets up on top of the leaderboard, and you know he's just going to keep rising and keep rising. He is not necessarily a name that these guys are scared of anymore, and I think it's because of the putting. It's just not the same as it used to be. Well, Sammy, he used to be that guy who would make, what was he, like 20% on his putts from 30 feet or something like that? It was it was to make it, which is ridiculous because 33 feet is the, is the break-even tour average where they ex- average exactly two putts for, from where they are. So, I mean, he was just doing things that had not really just not been seen in a while, had never been seen in the history of putting. And, and yes, that, that left him because at the end of the day, he was never really the best short putter ever. Like everyone always talks about, oh, he used to look at the hole. Sometimes you don't look at the hole. It didn't matter. He was at best middle of the pack when it came to short putting, where he gained all the strokes were really from 15 to about 30 feet. That is where he was exceptionally at. And I'll say this in all honesty that, like I mentioned earlier, Scotty Scheffler led the, the, the event and strokes gain approach, but, but Spieth was in second. And we seem to rip on him more for the way he in his quirky pre-shot routine than anything. So sometimes he's doing something right there. But over the last two the two events he played before this, he had lost strokes gain approach. So he's just so streaky. He's lost strokes gain on the greens. 
his last two events, looking back on it, over the last calendar year, there was more events where he lost strokes game putting than he gained Woody. So it, it, it seemed like in a little bit of a sense where he's focused so much on his golf swing, and he, he's really streaky there, but some weeks he pays dividends. But uh, the putting has – sometimes it's there, but for the most part it's left him and it's nowhere close to where he was back through 2015 and 2017 when he was dominating the game. He was amazing. I, I'd never seen anybody putt those longer putts like you're talking about, t he was making a bunch of long-range putts. Um, I guess when you're a little kid, I don't know, you guys are younger than me when you're a little kid. I don't got that memory anymore. But they always told you you used to make everything. And I don't know if that was true or not true. But I think part of the reason that you did is because you hadn't missed any. Scar tissue is a, is a uh, tough old game out there on that PGA Tour. You start getting a little bit of miss here and a miss there, especially under the gun down the stretch where Spieth didn't have that before. He's got it now, and so it's going to be tough. I don't know. I, I Every year that goes by, you you get a little bit more, what I said, scar tissue. If you really look at Jordan, he changed that day on the 12th hole at Augusta when he dumped those two balls in the water and he lost that Masters. He really hasn't been the same golfer since then, guys, in my opinion. That's just my two cents. But he has not been the same guy. One more big shout-out from the Waste Management. Taylor Moore, T-Dub mentioned it earlier. Uh, how much money did you say T-Moore won last week, T-Dub? 335 k That's what you get for a tied for 14th in one of these elevated events. Eight under, big-time showing from the Edmund Memorial and Arkansas product. Big shout-out to Timor as well. Okay, guys, we kind of buried the lead with the waste management. We got to talk about this. Mac Savage is a guy, I guess, who is famous on the Internet, and he decides that he is going streaking at the waste management. He jumps out of the crowd Onto 16, he air humps the flagstick on 16 like a pole dancer, somehow makes his way past security through the tunnel to 17 tee box, runs all the way about 400 yards from where he started, uh, all the way to 17 green, belly flops in the water, makes it all the way to the giant uh, giant letters, the WM letters in the middle of the pond. Uh, this guy's like a triathlete uh, type streaker, guys, and, and makes it all the way to the middle of the pond where the security couldn't get him. Uh, what were your thoughts on the streaker, T-Dub? One of the greatest feats of athleticism I've ever seen in professional golf. I thought it was absolutely beautiful, personally. I, <laughs> say is, so, I mean, just to, to come out of nowhere, and like I said, if there's any tournament that you would expect this to happen, it's this one. And any tournament where it's allowable, th- this is it. And, and, and no, honestly, I feel like these things should kind of be, not necessarily expected, but you want to just—you're not going to be completely blown away if some guy goes out there in the the low cut denim shorts and the mullet and just goes to town <laughs> on sixteen and seventeen and and, and just like I said, acting like the 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 flagpole is a stripper pole going up and down. And the the, the most smart thing about it, Sam, as you mentioned, he, he runs to seventeen. Paul and jumps in, and from the video, you can see the the security guys. Just standing back there and just kind of watching. They're like, I'm not going to get wet. I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not getting paid <laughs> enough for this. No, no. They, they had to balance all, all of those. They had to weigh their opportunity costs in that aspect. But it, it's so funny from our aspect because like, like they're, they're not showing it on the TV coverage. Or if they did, I completely missed it. So you, you're, you're catching everything 
from essentially people's Snapchats or people's Instagram stories, things like that, of figuring out what was the path this guy took and Woody. After you placed it all together, Sam's exactly right. It was like a, a triathlon and the amount of calories he had to have burned during th- this <laughs> endeavor. It was magnificent for his diet, and he probably needed to uh, burn off some calories from all the beer he drank, right? Well, probably so. And, and the boy showed some good moves. I mean, I was thinking he might play for Philadelphia or uh, Kansas City, but I was really, what I was most happy about is he had on some shorts. Um, uh, back in the day when streakers would streak, this is long before your guys' time, but there was one at a British Open that Peter Jacobson actually tackled the guy on the 18th hole. And uh, Peter, when they asked him about it, he said, well, the only thing I was really worried about is he was running around naked. And so I went to tackle him. I was going to go down low. And then I thought, that ain't a really good idea. And so he said, I really had to make sure I hit my head out and up as I hit him because I just didn't want a, a full face of uh, something in in me. So, uh, uh, you know, I, that, that, that why wouldn't that happen in Phoenix? Of course it's going to happen in Phoenix. Even at Christmas. It's not going to be at a U.S. Open. Uh, so uh, it just adds to uh, what the, the lure and the history that we get from that golf tournament. We, we never know what we're going to get. That's the fun part. That's right, and you guys make a great point about the shorts because that brings it from a felony to a misdemeanor, which means it was probably worth it in the end if he makes some money off the videos of him streaking, right? I mean, he couldn't have been in jail for that long. He probably got bailed out in time to, you know, watch the Super Bowl, I would would think. And so then, you know, you have that factor, and then he probably – I don't know how much the bail is for a misdemeanor in Arizona, but it can't be that much uh, compared to what he's making off these videos. So probably, you know, net positive for our man Max Savage with the glorious mullet. I'm saying there's no way that there wasn't some collective put together. Right? We're like, hey, this guy, you know, let's get him bailed out of jail. So let's get everyone there. Let's have him donate five bucks. You know, and I'm <laughs> let's telling you, go bail no that streaker way. out of jail and party with him tonight. Let's try to get him back for Sunday's round. It's probably what everyone was thinking, but uh, <laughs> just the uh, just the absolute craziness of it, and the, the fact that you, like I mentioned earlier, the amount of beer that had to have been consumed for this endeavor is truly remarkable, and maybe some extracurricular stuff as well. I'm not going to make any assumptions on that, but just to do things like that, usually you don't do those things sober. And at the end of the day, if this happened at Augusta National, it'd be the biggest travesty in the history of the sport. But for it to happen at Waste Management, is a pretty fun deal. And uh, I think the real question is, is that we know that one time at waste management, one time a year is probably pretty good for the sport. But Woody, should there be any other times where stuff like this happens? Could we be able to handle two or three of these events in a year, or is one just enough? I don't know. I'm I'm almost thinking one's enough. I I couldn't happen. To, I I was literally what you said was funny when that happened. I thought, can you imagine the 16th hole at Augusta, the kid running out and pole dancing? And then jumping in the lake right there, my goodness! The 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 members he would be burned at the stake, Woody. He would not make it off the ground. Yeah, they'd have a full cardiac. So, yeah, there's a time and a place uh, for this kind of activity. I think you have to be careful if this starts to run amok in too many golf tournaments. But for this one time a year, this this golf tournament. They get all the accolades for crazy, so good for them, and they need to keep it. 
No doubt about it. And I don't think it should be at any other tournament other than this one. That's what makes it so special at the Waste Management Championship every year. To me, I love the fact that it's a giant party, but just once a year because I don't need my major championships to have streakers or ice thrown or beer cans thrown on the greens. That's not what I want. That's not... You know, the history of golf, majors are about history. The Waste Management Open is about party and, and fun and enjoying the fun sides of, of the game of golf. And I think that that appeals to a lot of casual fans and golf fans alike. So I think that uh, the Waste Management is one of my favorite events on the PGA Tour, if not my favorite of regular events or even elevated events now. But uh, anyways, guys, I do want to let everybody know uh, to go follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the 73rd hole on Twitter and at 73rd hole on Instagram and also hit that subscribe button on Apple and Spotify. It's the purple button on Apple and the green button on Spotify. It's absolutely free and it just helps us out. Woody, I need you to tell us about our friends at Quail Creek Bank. Our guys at Quail Creek Bank been in business for 50 years. They celebrated that last year, guys. Um, that tells you right there. A locally owned bank that's been in business for 50 years. Well, there's no way you can do that unless you have quality people that work there, a fantastic loan department, all the needs of anybody and everything you need from a bank with a smiling face and somebody always on the other side of the phone not a recording, a real human being. We said it over and over. Quail Creek, it's a personal bank. They want to know your name. They want you to bank there. They're located at 122nd and North May. That's the bank in 2023 you need to go to. No doubt about it. Quail Creek Bank, the best bank in Oklahoma City. Okay, guys, let's take a break. But after the break, we have a whole lot to get into. Tiger is back. We heard from Tiger yesterday. He will be at Riviera this week, or already is at Riviera this week. Uh, We also had a win from the Sooners in Puerto Rico. Back-to-back wins for them. We'll get into that as well. After the break here on Oklahoma's leader in golf, the 73rd hole the official podcast of golf oklahoma when something the size of a golf ball hits your roof you need to call mccray roofing mccray roofing is oklahoma's designer roofing service specialist for years jeff mccray and the experienced team at mccray roofing and exteriors have served fellow oklahomans by helping them with their roofing needs mccray roofing uses only top quality materials and professional crews to make sure that each job is done right so it will give you the years of service security and protection you need from the unpredictable oklahoma weather mccray roofing offers residential and commercial roofing ventilation services and custom copper designs mccray roofing is dedicated to exceeding the homeowner's expectations it's not just a roof it is your home's crowning glory call mccray roofing today at 405-692-4000 that's 405-692-4000 Make sure to also visit their website at mccrayroofing.com. That's M-C-R-A-Y roofing.com. Don't get caught with a leaking roof. Contact McCray Roofing for your free inspection today. And we are back. 
back on the other side of the break here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. I mentioned before the break, Tiger is back. We'll get to that. I mentioned before the break that OU won. We'll get to that. But we also have to get to the fact that our man from Oak Tree, friend of the show, Rian Gibson, Mr. 55, wins for the second time on the Corn Ferry Tour. He shot seven under in the final round, 16 under for the golf tournament, one by four over former OSU player Kevin Doherty. Big time win for Rian, guys, and the most impressive part about it to me was he had a two-shot lead on 18, and he eagles the 18th hole, makes about a 30-footer for eagle on 18 to win by four shots. Big time win for Rian and puts himself in a really great position to secure his tour card again. I mean, it was absolutely massive for Rian. It's such a good, such a great guy, like you mentioned, friend of the show, and he's just it's such a class act. I'd love to see him succeed, and the clutch eagle he made on the last hole was, was just exceptional and shows that he has what it takes mentally to be able to go out and compete at the highest level. And this win, not only does it does it propel him for a great chance to be on the PGA Tour next year, but it solidifies that he's going to be able to play on the Corn Ferry for at least two more years. So, I mean, I think that that is a little bit of cushion in itself. And I actually had a, a friend who went down in caddies in the tournament. He said that the golf course was about at about 6,000 feet elevation. So there was a lot of calculations that had to be done on, on how far to hit the ball. Some guys were hitting eight irons, like 230 yards. So I, I don't know what he is. It seems like that that was probably a pretty good test for him. He also said it wasn't the most ele- or wasn't a lot of undulation on the course. It's pretty flat. So I feel like for for Rian, a, a course where he had to be able to think a little bit more and being able to use some of his uh, other prowesses, as I may say, I feel like that that really uh, helped him at this tournament. Oh, it's a big win for him, uh, and once again, he puts himself, as Sam said, in a great position to move forward and hopefully get back out onto the PGA Tour. And, and well, he's got two more years that are guaranteed on the Cornberry. I think Ring is about at that time in his life where he's tired of being on the Cornberry. He's ready to make that jump and stay out on that PGA Tour. So, you know, with each win, you gain a lot of confidence. And seven under in the last round ought to really boost your ego and your confidence. So let's hope he builds on this. And not only does he get his playing privileges back, but we're Let's be the leading money winner this year on the Corn Ferry. Let's shoot for high goals. And, and Ren's capable of that. He's that good a player. That's what he needs to go do. He just needs to go win two more of them and just head out to the PGA Tour for the year's even over. No doubt about it. Big time congratulations to Oak Tree's own Rian Gibson. Great, great guy. Happy for him. Speaking of Oklahoma guys getting wins, the Sooners we're back in action to start their spring season at Puerto Rico where they broke the record shot 59 under last year and guys they go out this year and all they did was shoot 30 under and OU wins the golf tournament over East Tennessee State which by the way I didn't know the East Tennessee State had a big time team this year but they do they shot 25 under for the tournament and beat Georgia and Wisconsin and Ohio State Old Miss, Tennessee, this field was absolutely loaded, and OU goes out there and wins to start the uh, start the spring season, and 
Guys, ironically, OU's individual Ben Lorenz finished top for the team. Uh, so they shot 30 under as a team without even Ben Lorenz's scores shooting 10 under for the golf tournament. So big shout out to Ben Lorenz tied for second uh, as an individual. That's big time. But OU went with the lineup of Luke Kluver, the transfer from Kansas. Drew Goodman, obviously, you know, hopefully uh, has a great sophomore year after a great freshman year last year. Stephen Campbell Jr., Jake Hallbrook, Patrick Welch, the cross-handed bandit, were their top five, and they all played solid golf. Just looking at the leaderboard here, tied for fifth, Stephen Campbell Jr., along with Drew Goodman, Patrick Welch also in the top ten right there. OU... I know that a lot of people are like, oh, well, they lost Chris Goddard and and Logan McAllister. They're definitely going to drop off this year. Maybe a little bit, but right now, even before this tournament, OU was ranked 16th in the country. So I think that they still have that talent. They got the transfer, Luke Kluver from Kansas. This team could make a run for a national championship this year. It has that type of talent, but they have to put the consistency together. If they play like they did just now in Puerto Rico and shoot 30 under um, and play that type of golf T-dub, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with once we get to regionals time. It was an absolutely huge win for OU for all the reasons you just mentioned. Let's let's not forget, this was last year, this is where Chris Goddard won uh, the Puerto Rico tournament, which got him into the Puerto Rico Open where he had a very great finish there. So a lot of uh, Sooners making some pretty good history down in Puerto Rico. Four four Sooners finished inside the top ten, which is uh, pretty incredible. As you mentioned, they finished uh, won the team term over East Tennessee State, which for me is to East Tennessee State's most known for. Rory McIlroy turned pro at age 17, but he was actually committed to play golf at East Tennessee State. I guess someone from Ireland was, was a coach there of some sort. Seamus Power actually played golf there too, so that's what their uh, their college golf is probably most known T-Dub, for. That's, but what, I don't know. that's one of those cases of the Europeans not knowing the difference between East Tennessee State and, and Alabama, right? They don't, they don't watch American football, right? They'd have no clue. Yeah, I, I was thinking Roy McIlroy could probably go to about any college that he wanted to, and, and to pick East Tennessee State would be uh, probably questionable at best. But uh, if that's what, what what he saw as fit, you know. So, be, and like I mentioned, Seamus Power played there, so maybe there was. And, and that's the thing too. A lot of these international kids, they just want to be able to feel like that they're at home. They don't want to feel like they are going to an entirely different country. So maybe that was good for him. But but what is the most interesting part about this is that Ben Lorenz, who plays the individual, finishes second in the tournament, and. Whenever you have such loaded teams like this, it can be so hard to figure out as a coach. Well, who are the, the best five that I want to play? I mean, you have qualifying, then you have other tournament results. You have all these different factors. So, I mean, Woody, what is Ryan Hibble going to do now? I mean, obviously you got those Lorenz in the top five. He just finished second. And, I mean, how are you going to structure your top five going forward? It's difficult as an understatement. Of course, when I was in school, Holder had 10, 12 guys. He could have picked any one of us, and we could have all played on the on the starting team. Um, it's a catch-22, isn't it? We talked about it with Mike McGraw. If you remember the last time we had him on our podcast, you want enough guys that you have competition, but you don't want so many guys that you now, especially with the portal, that they could just they can just say, "Well, I ain't gonna make this team. I'm out of here." So it's a fine line he's walking. He has to look at how they play in tournaments, though. T Dub, I think a golf tournament, even more so than qualifying. I, I always remember back in the day when we were qualifying at OSU, we had certain guys that could just qualify really good. But when they went to the golf tournament, they did not perform as good as some of the other dudes. So I think you got to look at what they do in a golf tournament. 
So Hibble, I guess it's a bad it's not a bad place to be. It's a good place to be to have to be making a decision on a guy that you weren't sure was even in your top five now almost wins the golf tournament. So all it does is bode well for them going into this spring, which we always know they're going to come up with somebody down there. So they're, they're that kind of program. So I look for them to build on this and uh, let's hope they go into a good spring and win a couple more tournaments and do really good and get a good place at a regional and, then when come June, we might be talking about him winning the national title again. No doubt about it. And OSU was also supposed to be in action in Hawaii, and they canceled the tournament due to high winds. And uh, we did have UNC, who is my favorite to win the national championship, North Carolina, with Dylan Minetti and Austin Greaser and David Ford. I think that they're one of the favorites to win. They played a match play match, a ranked match play match because that tournament got canceled uh the next day in hawaii and guys the big 12 champion Ludwig aberg goes out there and wins seven and six over north carolina's david ford the world number six amateur in the world um and the top ranked swede didn't lose a single hole before winning the match seven and six aberg is now five oh and one in match play this season Ludwig Aberg, and they also have a couple other guys on the team uh, who are playing really good golf. I think Texas Tech guys even had an individual uh, win the, uh, yeah, Texas Tech's Jack Wall, who transferred from South Carolina prior to this season, uh, won the Genesis Collegiate Showcase um, prior to the PGA Tour event at Riviera. Uh, so that was impressive as well. And then if you look at the rankings, guys, they have Callum Scott, who's a sophomore at Texas Tech as well, who's the number three ranked player actually ahead of Ludwig Aberg on the golf stat rankings, which just counts the NCAA tournaments. So Texas Tech, while OU and OSU are having decent years, Texas Tech, to me, as far as Big 12 goes, is still your favorites. They are having an exceptional year, and they have some big-time talent on their team. 100% do, yeah. I'm on. Uh, I'm looking at a golf week ranking right here, and it's got Texas Tech as a sixth-ranked team. Currently, OU is in ninth. Oklahoma State down in 18th. Texas, uh, who won uh, the Southern Collegiate or whatever it's called, is, in four, is ranked 14th. So, yeah, a good amount of Big 12 talent there, as you expect to see. The the top five rounds that is Vanderbilt 1, Auburn 2, North Carolina 3, Arizona State 4, Stanford 5 with Texas Tech fall behind them at 6, So and then Tennessee's behind them at 7. So I feel like that it's – like we all seem to think North Carolina's the favorite, So but, but Vanderbilt does have the reigning uh, defending national champion who was a freshman, so there's a lot of uh, weight on that. Sergeant, but I yeah. don't know what – yeah, go, yeah, Sergeant, and who will be playing in the Masters. And he looked down, even a, a team like number 11, Texas A&M, has Sam Bennett, who's the reigning U.S. Amateur champion. So there, there's a lot of really great college golf programs around Woody. But uh, I don't know. It's just I know they're third in the rankings, but I just look at them on paper, and I don't know how, how North Carolina is going to beat when it comes to national time. Unless all the guys just start slumping right at the same time. And we don't know that. That's what you got to love about golf. We're also still talking about 18- to 22-year-old kids. That's there's right. a lot that – between now and June, gentlemen, a lot. So, yeah, we're looking at all the favorites right now. But, uh, like I said, we don't know. Come June, we might change all of our attitudes about who we are thinking is going to win it all. Right now, I like where you all are going with Tech and North Carolina. I agree with you guys. 
But I'm, I'm, I'm thinking there's a sleeper out there that might gel coming down the stretch. We'll see. I don't know. A lot of, lot of variables before June. One observation that I had uh, about college golf nowadays compared to when I played it even, you know, just five years ago or so is that there's a lot more match play happening. And I feel like coaches realize the importance of putting together some match play matches like Texas Tech did with North Carolina or like the Big 12 does with the Big 12 match play in the regular season because it is ironic that you determine a national championship uh, national champion based off of match play and you never really used to play any match play until that point guys and so I feel like that coaches are getting smarter about the fact that they need to you know play a couple match play matches especially uh, throughout the year to kind of see what guys play better you know in match play I think that that's a big thing that you even see in professional golf T-Dub. 100% I mean I've been clamoring for for more match play golf just in general, especially even on the PGA Tour. And I get that the Tour, there's more logistics to it because, you, like, for example, they had to change the, the WGC match play to, to the pool system because guys weren't coming to the old style because they'd come and play 15 holes and have to go home, and no one wanted to really do that. So there, there were some decent logistics. But in college golf, it's pretty simple to call up another coach and say, hey, let's, uh, let's get something scheduled. We go ahead and head, especially when it's two programs who are who are expected to be contending for, for that match play portion because whenever it changed, what was it, 10 years ago or so, when they decided to go to match play, like, as you mentioned, they didn't really evolve into that. It seemed like every tournament was stroke play, and then like maybe there'd be one or two match play tournaments here or there, but at most you'd play one a year. And I, I just really like this new this kind of newer style of calling up a team and saying, hey, let's go head-to-head. And it, it's still pretty – it's a very formal thing, but yet it's not as formal as an official tournament. So – I don't know, Woody, wouldn't you agree that it's really, really crucial to get a little bit of max play experience against other teams just opposed to playing the players who are on your current team? I think you're spot on, T-Dub. And I, the reason why I say that, if, if the three of us were going to go play golf today, what would we play? Would we play an 18-hole stroke play? No, we'd play a max play. We'd play against each other. We'd get whatever it is, play $5 a hole or five, you know, do an ass or do a, do a front back, whatever you want to do. It would be a match play is what I'm saying, guys. We really wouldn't worry about playing our round of golf. And and that's how most people play golf. So it is entertaining. Why is the Ryder Cup and the President's Cup always so interesting? It's match play. Match play is a different cast. So I am not shocked. If I was a college coach, I'd be doing it a lot. I would get these guys playing in matches as much as I could. No doubt, no doubt. It's going to be an interesting NCAA spring season with North Carolina and Vanderbilt and OU and OSU going to have you covered. And if you want the best college golf coverage, especially in this part of the country, go to golfoklahoma.org. Kim McLeod and Chris Swafford doing a great job up in Tulsa. Guys, from college to professional, we have a lot to get into with this Genesis Invitational. And guys, we got to start with one Tiger Woods. And we heard from Tiger yesterday. Tiger says that the leg is better than it was last year, that the issue is the ankle and not the back, apparently, is what Tiger is trying to allude to there. And he says that it's been a balancing act. It's gotten so much better talking about the ankle the last couple of months. I wouldn't be here if I didn't think that I could beat these guys and win this event. Guys, 
Do you believe Tiger when he says this? I, I believe that Tiger believes that he can win this golf tournament, but does T-Dub believe that he can win this golf tournament, T-Dub? No, I don't. And, and I mean, it's uh, like we, we mentioned this on the radio show in particular. It's kind of weird to think about that. We haven't even done a podcast since we announced Tiger. So I just want to give the credit up to Woody for prognosticating correctly. This would be where he'd come back and play. I did not think he would. So great job to you, Woody. Really, really good job. On, on that one, but no, it's, he's never played Riviera good at all. Even even the time when he finished running up here in 1998 to, to Billy Mayfair, it wasn't at this course. It was at some other course started with a V. I don't have it in front of me right now. But nevertheless, yes, that's exactly right, Woody. Thank you very much. And uh, so he's come to this course, which you would think that it would be a good place for him, but it just hasn't been. You, It's a, traditionally a really good iron paradise, but also you have to you have to drive it exceptionally well off the tee, and I feel like that's really what, what's held him back because if you get in some of this rough where it's super gnarly, it, it's going to be really, really hard to get out of it. And I feel like that that's really what's probably held Tiger back on, on this course in particular. And he's got this superstar pairing, right? He's playing with Rory and JT. And he's going late early, which is a lot of people are, are thinking that it was probably weird. And, and more than likely so. I would have thought it would have been the other way. But also, if he is playing good enough to make the cut, though, that's going to be best for him because he'll be able to rest more from Friday to Saturday, so I, I don't think that that's as big a deal as some things I was seeing on, on Twitter talk about. I think the biggest thing about Tiger, actually, they have him on golf today right now, I'm watching it, he's still using FootJoy shoes. It's like, you're telling me in the span of a year, the most, probably the most famous shoe company in the world can't make the greatest golfer some shoes that fit his sore ankle, Woody. Is it not one of the more weird things you've ever seen? Not There's just something golf, else going on with that. Is, There's something else going on with that. Yeah, there has to be going on with that i i can say i'm like you that I, I he's never played it's not like he's played bad at riviera but he's never won at riviera i, I can give you a little example i can tell you how much he's really not excelled at riviera the first two times that i played riviera against him i beat him so that's right boy <laughs> that I is big time woody nice two and oh against Tiger Woods. now that was 92 and 93 Okay, he was 16 and 17. So, okay, there's a little asterisk there. Don't be laughing. It's a little asterisk, but I'm telling you what, I kicked his little butt two and oh. I had him for two years. I love it. And it turned out to be ugly for me the next few times we played against each other. But he doesn't play Riviera well, but he loves Riviera. I don't know what it is about that L.A., but he really likes being there. And, he, you know, this is his tournament. He's the host. So I, I just, I, for some reason, guys, I thought if he's going to play, he's going to play there. And sure enough, here he is. Great call, Woody. It's a great call. Absolutely. And I've seen a lot of things, guys, on Twitter about how he's absolutely bombing his driver on the range at Riviera. And while I'm one of the biggest Tiger fans of all time, he's the reason why I love golf. I want everybody to pump the brakes a little bit and stop the recency bias. We've seen this before. He was hitting bombs on the range at the Masters and at Southern Hills as well. And guys, I just hope to me that he can hold up for an entire tournament physically. Then we can start talking about him contending in regular season tournaments and then we can talk about him contending in majors. But if you're a big-time Tiger fan... Don't get your hopes up until we start seeing him on Sunday physically hold up, and then we can talk about him contending on Sunday. I'll never bet against Tiger Woods, but 
in this scenario this week, I would not bet on Tiger Woods to be contending on Sunday. I think that's just too big of an ask, T-Dub. Well, just for clarification's sake, the last time Tiger finished better than 37th in a tournament but was a, a T9 finish back at the 2020 Farmers Insurance Open. That's over three years ago now, guys. So it's, it's not like that we're, we're – 2019 wasn't yesterday you know, when he won the Masters. It's a decent while from now. And that so many things have transpired in his life. And as, as you're alluded to, Sam, the most important thing is the body. Is he going to be able – to hold up because he could be, he could be, have what he actually did this a few years ago and it wasn't necessarily injury related. He was four under through nine holes and then barely made the cut and finished DFL out of everyone. So you could have some situation. He comes out and starts playing good. He's walking up a hill and he, he steps on his ankle wrong and he's not able to be the same after that. So uh, there's so many things to be looking out for with Tiger, not just in his game, but uh, the, probably the most thing I'm looking for just besides the, obviously it's, it's tied in with the body. But is he going to show uh, enough prowess and, and form to, to say that he's going to play again before Augusta? Um, I heard some people saying on Golf Channel, maybe the Players' Championship. I don't know. I would think that he'd be more likely to play Bay Hill than the Players. I, I, maybe that's just me. I think he has more respect for Arnie. But, but the Players is now the, the flagship uh, tournament on the PGA Tour, which is he's the biggest spokesman for. So I, I don't know, Woody. You were correct on prognosticating um, if he'll play if, when he would play again. But let's just say – Let's just say he makes the cut and doesn't show any form of, of any hurt, just probably what I, what we all want to happen. Do you think he'll keep going, or do you think this will be, without a doubt, the last time we see him before Augusta? Well, he's, he's hinting in a lot of ways. He, he hinted about Augusta, that he will not play at Augusta if he does not think he can win it. Um, they were asking him how many more years. He didn't think there'd be a lot more years because he doesn't think he's capable of winning He's the kind of golfer that is not going to just show up to play. Now, he has to keep his name out, like we were talking about in our last podcast. He, he's he got a lot of ventures tied to the PGA Tour, also tied to him individually, that he's got going on. He has to keep his name, and he has to stay out there where we can see him. I know it will frustrate him if he gets to playing again and he starts hurting again, because at some point he's going to have to go, hey, my body will only let me play at night on my little uh, tour they're going to have going. It, it's not good enough anymore. If we come to that, I think he will fess up. He will do it. He, he's too proud uh, to go out and just be a ceremonial golfer. He, it, it's just not him. So big week this week. Can he play 72 holes, and after he's finished playing, Will he be able to play in a couple of weeks, or will his leg or ankle or back or whatever? There's so many things in that body. Will one of them fail him? And if we keep seeing this week in and week out, guys, we got to get used to the idea that we're not going to be seeing Tiger Woods that much anymore. Yeah, no doubt. It is a big week, and hopefully his body does hold up. And I think a silver lining of all of this is the fact that I've been saying it for over a year now that Tiger Woods is never going to contend in another major until he is able to play those regular season tour events because not just because of him physically improving that he can do it physically, but there's a big difference between competitive golf and 
you know, big time money games at your home course or even hitting giggles like we saw at the PNC or the match. There is a big time difference, and I think we saw it cost Tiger not not just his body not holding up at the Masters, but his short game was not holding up because he wasn't, you know, he was a little rusty competitively, right, T-Dub? And I think that that's a good thing that Tiger realizes, and obviously Tiger realizes that he has to get those competitive rounds under his belt before these major championships. I don't care that his name is Tiger Woods. He can't just tee it up four times a year and expect to compete. Well, there's so many, as you alluded to earlier, there's so many different stages to it, from him playing in the PNC in a cart, hit and giggle, but then there's even more stages to that. There's there's the Thursday round uh, of an elevated event, which is always going to play. Then there's the, the final round uh, of that event. Then there's first round of a major. Then there's fi- then there's third round of a major. Then there's the back nine actually in contention of a major. There's so many different layers to this, and Tiger's going to have to get in there and scrape off the rust uh, to get it done. And, yes, he's built up more hardware than anyone has ever seen in their entire life. But still, whenever you have so many things in your life happen to you since then, and, and the biggest thing about it, too, now, Woody, is that these players are just so good. And it's so there's so many things that have to transpire for, for him to win tournaments. I mean, can, he, can, can there be a shining light where he just goes out and beats everyone in the field? Yes, he's still that talented. But it's, it's so much harder to do now because you have Rory, Rom, Scheffler, Cantlay, more Calafina, all these other guys. And, yes, he went against great players like, like Ernie, Duvall, BJ, uh, Phil, all these other great players. But – at the same time, it just seems like that even guys we hadn't mentioned who are playing now are just so much deeper in the top level so there that it's it's just hard for him. It's going to be harder for him to win now than it was even before, not even considering all the things that have happened to him, right? I will say this, gentlemen. If he gets an 83rd victory, and if it's in a major, that's even more, he will be the greatest to ever play the game. I will say it. Without a doubt, then, even though I still believe Jack Nicholas was pretty special, if he can fight through all these injuries, all the things he's done, and at his age, if he can win another golf tournament with the competition that's out there now, he will be the GOAT. There is no doubt in my mind. I will state it on this podcast, color it gone. You know, Traber's going to hate me, but I don't care. <laughs> Woody, I mean, to me, he's already the GOAT. He proved that in 2019 with the greatest comeback, in my opinion, in the history of sports. If he were to win again, that would even top that for me. Um, Guys, we got to get going here. So we need to talk about the golf course. And Riviera, if you polled pro golfers, I think that Riviera would come up number one, uh, you know, as far as serve, if you survey pro golfers and ask them what their favorite golf course is on the PGA Tour, I think that Riviera would come up number one. T-Dub, why do you think that is, that when you ask professional golfers what their favorite tournament to play is or what golf course they like the most, why do they always put Riviera in that conversation? Because it's such an outstandingly pure design, and it's a design that's withheld the test of time. I mean, this course was built, what, in the 1920s or something like that? Maybe even longer than that, and it's been able to to withstand all the changes that have happened in the game of golf. I mean, you have the first hole that's on top by the clubhouse, that nice drop-off. Yes, it's probably one of the easiest par fives you'll ever play, and it may be a big change to a par four someday, but uh, it's still a magnificently beautiful hole. The tenth hole there, one of the most famous short par fours, in the world, number six has the bunker in the middle of the green, which a lot of people, even people who just barely casually play golf, know about that hole. And even some of the other designs, 18 is one of the best finishing holes 
in the game. It's got some of the, the toughest par threes that, that you'll ever see. I think it's the fourth hole. It's like 245 yards, and there's really no place to land it in front of the green to run it up. You have to land it on and, and, and get it to stop, so it requires such a high elevated shot. And and, and Woody, I, I don't think Sam's played it, so you'd be the only one on the podcast who's played that course. So what, what do you think about it? And you could probably attest to it better than everyone, but uh, – just from the architectural design of it, as someone who just loves course course design, it's one of the best courses in the world, no, hands down. By far. I mean, I was very lucky. I, when I was a club pro out in California, I was able to win the section championship, which my first time to get to play Riviera uh, would have been in 1986 at the LA Open because I was the section champion. From that day I played it, I fell in love with it. It 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 is just what you said. The eucalyptus trees that are so tall and so big, the layout of the golf course, just it down there in that valley, the fact you're in Hollywood. I mean, AJ can go on and on, but, but I can tell you guys if if tomorrow you said I've got a week to go play my favorite golf course. I got four of them right there that I want to go play in L.A. L.A. North, which you're going to see in the U.S. Open, Riviera, Cyprus, and Olympic Club. And, and let me tell you something, gentlemen. All four of them, there's not a one of them that you wouldn't want to go play day in, day out. So California, the fact that there's a lot of crazy people there, if you can get by that, and their golf courses are pure. And Riviera, by far, there was a reason why Ben Hogan loved it. It's a perfect golf course for Hogan Spade, and it's a, just a joy to play every day. No doubt about it. Whether it be Taylor Gooch or Tiger Woods, they all talk glowingly about Riviera. And what do you mention Hollywood? It is going to be Hollywood this week with the big names again with this tournament being elevated just like the waste management was. And that means that Rory McIlroy, John Rahm, Scotty Scheffler, Xander Shoffley, and Tony Finau are your top five favorites. Um, and even if we go down the list here, Cantlay, Thomas, uh, Cameron Young, Will Zalatoris, Max Homa, who loves California. I didn't even mention Colin Morikawa or Victor Hovland, guys. This field is absolutely loaded. Rory McIlroy and John Rahm and Scotty Scheffler are your considerable favorites over everybody else. T-Dub, I ask you the question every week, does the winner come out of those three guys? I'm going to say no, it doesn't. Um, I, I think Riviera, just, just and also too at this elevated event, it's going to be the exact same amount of money that we we saw last week. So 3.6 million, the first 2.18 million to, to second. So yeah, I expect to see, and it, to, to expect to see just a, a lot of these great names go out there and play well. Now I look at some guys even below that, like the the Xanders, the Phenals, Cantlay, who always plays well here. Cameron Young only played here once, but but finished second. Borkawa uh, Zalatoris, I feel like this course suits up perfectly for them and then even the likes of Victor Alvin, Jason Day who I'm extremely excited about starting to play good golf again I, I he's one of my favorite players to watch when he was playing at his best and to see him have even just kind of close to what he had back then was in 2015 is truly truly great so I'm gonna I'm gonna take one of the other guys but I do expect Rory, Rom, and Shefford all be up there within the top 15 top 20 because it does suit their games as well but as we mentioned in the first segment Rom's dealing with a little bit of driver woes on the on the last two rounds, so I don't expect him to necessarily have his best stuff, but he could obviously get it figured out at any moment. So at the end of the day, it wouldn't be a shock, but uh, it's it's a pretty good question, Woody, that Sam started to ask 
every week. But this week, I'm going to go with the the other guys, uh, the the rest of the field, just because uh, Chef already won last week, so I don't know if he'll do it again. Rory didn't necessarily have his best of at Phoenix, but he's he's mentioned countless times that that course hasn't really suited him well. And from what I saw from John Rums driving the last two days or at, at the Phoenix Open, that's really why I'd go with the other guys, just especially with how loaded it is in these elevated events, which has been a great thing to see really ever since they've been instituted. I've come to a conclusion, guys. I've got this thing figured out. I've got a dartboard set up in my, my barn down here where I do my podcast spot. And I put a bunch of names on that dartboard. And I'm, I'm going to wait, and I'm going to just throw it uh, before we go to pick. And that's how I'm going to pick from now on because I don't have a clue. Uh, if you look at how good these guys are, if anybody can pick one, I'm shocked. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, the top of this field is as good as you're ever going to see um, in a non-major. Guys, I to answer my own question there, I think that the winner does not come out of those three guys, Rory McIlroy, John Rahm, or Scotty Scheffler. Reason being is there's some other guys, um, big names, that just haven't started off the year quite as hot as guys like a McElroy, Rahm, or Scheffler that have had success at Riviera. Number one being Max Homa. I think Max Homa would be my favorite to win this golf tournament, T-Dub. I am going to pick Max Homa as my one-and-done pick this week. If you look at Max Homa at Riviera in the past, Max Homa, the last three years, has gone tied for 10th, win and tied for fifth he absolutely loves playing professional golf in california has won four times in california and he has the recent form yes he had a tied for 39th last week at the waste management but it really wasn't as bad as it looked he he got off he got a little wayward off the tee especially in the final round i don't see that as a problem on a course that he's super comfortable on, and then obviously won the won the Farmers the week before that, finished tied for third at the Century the week before that. If I am going to bet on one player this week, it's going to be Max Homa. Yeah, the, the California King himself. I mean, he just seems to never play bad in that state, and he's mentioned numerous times how much he loves Riv. And so, yeah, I expect him to keep it going. He didn't. Play, he finished thirty ninth last week, but that was his first tournament after his win at the Farmers. So you, you can kind of understand that he didn't drive it very well last week. But I feel like Riviera is a little bit different driving course. The TBC Scott still is, and somewhere he's pretty confident. He's gained strokes gained off the tee every single time that he's played her, even in the two times that he missed the cut. And, and we're and, and what he tried to say just earlier, and I completely agree with him that you, you pretty much just going to throw a dartboard. At, at this, at any of these, especially these elevated events, see who wins. But I'm going to go ahead and do it. I've already thrown my dart, and I'm going with it. I am saying that one of the biggest trends in golf is going to be officially broken this week. Victor Hovland, who has never won a tournament or never wow. won a professional tournament, the Continental United States, is breaking the trend this week, Woody. He is going to win the Genesis Invitational. The two times he's played here, he's finished fourth and fifth. He didn't play very well last week, but he never he's never played well at the Waste Management. Missed the cut twice. He actually did make the cut last week with uh, two, and he's also had two top 20s in the two events he's played so far this year. So I'm calling it Woody. The trend is breaking. Victor Hovland finally gets a win in the Colony United States on a course that he's played very well so far in his career. I like that pick. I, I think that's a pretty good pick. Uh, he's also was uh, one of the only guys that has actually said, I'm not giving up on Liv yet. If you, I don't know if you guys read that or saw that. And he didn't really say he was going to live, 
but he said he would never count it out. Just one more thing that he did say in that interview. He said that he didn't consider it controversial to say that Liv has uh, the competition between Liv and the PGA Tour has uh, propelled purses and improved the life on the PGA Tour. Well, yeah, he's he just being honest. I mean, and good for him that he is, that he's not. He said, you know what, I'm going to do what's best for Victor Hovland. Well, that's, I think that's what everybody should do. Don't you guys really want to get right down to it? So when I threw my dart just a minute ago while you were talking, I got Xander Shoffley. So I'm going with Xander Shoffley. And I'm thinking that could be a pretty good pick. I like your Hovland. I like your home, but I'm going with Xander Shopley this week, guys. Hey, I think that Xander could finally kind of get in contention on Sunday at Riviera. He's been really close in the five times he's played at Riviera. He's finished tied for 13, tied for 15, tied for 23rd, tied for 15, tied for 9th. He's just never really got over that little hump you have to get over um, to really be in contention to win the golf tournament there, but he's played some really solid golf there, gained over a shot on the field every single time he's played their strokes gained approach. So he is hitting his irons great at Riviera every time he plays tied for 10th last week. So I really like that pick, Woody. I think I like a couple other guys as well. I think a lot of people this week will be sleeping on Colin Morikawa because he did not play well last week at the Waste Management. He missed the cut. But before that, he finished third, second, and sixth in the, the three tournaments he played in before that. And he at Riviera last year, he finished tied for second. So I, I look for a guy like Colin Morikawa to have a bounce back week um, in California. And he's a California kid. Uh, I really like him this week as well as Justin Thomas, T-Dub. Justin Thomas is a guy who finished tied for fourth last week. Backdoor top five for him. Uh, looks to be playing really solid golf. And last year at the Genesis, he finished solo sixth. He also has a uh, solo second uh, at the Genesis as well in his past. And so I think that Colin Morikawa and Justin Thomas, you can probably get better odds on this week than guys like a John Rahm, Scotty Scheffler, or Rory McIlroy. Colin Morikawa, Justin Thomas, Max Homa, Xander Shoffley. I like the way you guys are thinking this week. Yeah, I mean, it's just whenever you have this many great players, if one of them just goes out and, and, and hits the ball well and, and, and gets a few putts to fall, then they're going to be up there, especially on a course that is as challenging Riviera. We're not going to see the 25-30 unders. When I think Joaquin Neiman won this tournament last year, what, 19 under or something, or maybe 14, something along those lines. So he was it, it, he went pretty low, but he won by, like, multiple shots. So it may be one of those guys will come out and do that. Obviously, Joaquin is not going to defend his title this week, so that, that'll be something – to, to look into. We'll definitely not have a repeat champion again. Some other guys that I like, Sam's kind of towards the bottom that are in my DraftKings. At, at 6,300, I like Stuart Sink. I think he's a pretty good value play. He threw on the uh, the Kevin Durant jersey at the Waste Management, was able to make the cut there. He's made the cut in his last uh, three events, and he has a pretty good record at Riviera. He's played here, I believe, 10 times or maybe 11 times, and he's only missed a cut twice. So for a pretty good value play, I like that. Some other guys I like uh, at 7,000, Patrick Rogers always plays this course really well, so I expect him to keep that going. He's finished 12th, 15th, and 22nd in, in the times he's played here. Only missed the cut twice in seven appearances. And he's gained, strokes gained putting at this course a decent amount, which is something that usually trends to be very well. And the value play of the week, guys, which I just absolutely do not understand, Taylor Moore at 7,200, that is just absolutely way too cheap. He's finished 14th, 15th, and 11th 
his last three events, and his only time playing Riviera. He finished 21st last year, when, and he's a lot better player now than he was back then. So I, I don't understand what DraftKings is saying there. I think he's still there. The, the, the next three in my lineup we've discussed pretty heavily, but I'll go ahead and break it down a little bit further. Patrick Cantlay at 9,000, I think it's just really good, really good value. I think people are looking at that missed cut he had last week as a, as a little bit that's, that's derailing him. But he's made the cut in this term the last five years that he's played here, and four of those times he's been inside the top 17. So I expect him to have a pretty good week this week. Another California kid, which has also been a trend with our picks. And then another California kid, Xander Shockley, 9,900. I feel like that's a, a pretty good value for all the reasons that we've already mentioned uh, leading up to this. And then I, I had to go with one of the big three just to have him in my lineup. I either go Rory, Rom, or Scheffler. And Rory was the cheapest out of those. And the analytics do seem to really like Rory this week. Uh, he hasn't necessarily played this course. that He hasn't won here, but he's finished 10th, 5th, and 4th. Three out of the last four years, he's played or didn't miss the cut in, in 2021 where he was pretty much lost two shots on the green. So I don't expect that to continue. And, and yes, Rory didn't play that good last week, Woody. But before that, we had mentioned how many times they hasn't finished outside of the top four going all the way back to before the Tour Championship. So I expect Rory to get on a little bit of form back then. And uh, I think he's the best value on DraftKings when it comes to those big three. I was going to wonder who you guys are this week on that DraftKings. That's got to be brutal. Uh, look, I'd look way down there though, where you said Taylor, Taylor Moore was just – I can't believe he's that low. So, it, it is – again, it's a, it's a week, guys. Look for good ball strikers. That's all I can tell you about Riviera. It's it's the, the a ball striker's paradise. you got to move the ball both ways. And uh, I think you'll see the guy that wins this week is going to be a heck of a ball striker. One last thing I want to get to, guys, on Riviera is Tiger Woods tee time. And T-Dub alluded to it a little bit earlier, um, but he's going to go off at 3.04 p.m. Eastern time. That's 2.04 p.m. Central time here in Oklahoma. Late early for Tiger at his own event. A lot of people were saying that's kind of shocking that Tiger would would uh, would get that tee time because guys normally like to go early late and, and especially guys like a like a uh, Tiger Woods in your own tournament you would think uh, would want to do that and it makes me think guys that he might have requested uh, that he go late early do you think that that was the case for some physical reason or, or do you think that they just gave him the late early tee time with McElroy and Thomas? I would venture the bet that he had at least a little bit of input on on his tee time and his grouping, as we've seen he's played with, playing with his two best buddies out there on the tour. But uh, I think I noticed it even at the PGA Championship, where he he went early late in, in in that in that day, and then on Saturday he just didn't look the same. So I think that I kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier, but I think the biggest thing was that. He, he got done playing those two rounds, and on Friday, he wasn't able to come back on Saturday, and that was the best stuff. And then we, we saw him withdraw before Sunday, and I, I can't remember w- which wave of the draw he had at, uh, at the Open Championship, but I just noticed at the PGA, Woody, I, I feel like from Saturday or from Friday when I watched him, he was limping pretty good on Friday, too, but he was even worse on Saturday. So I feel like it, it's going to be a catch-22, right? You're either going to have – unless he's at, leading the tournament after the second round, then he'd have a late tee time no matter what. But uh, at some point, you're going to have to play later in the day and come back decently early the next day. So I figured Tiger's probably saying, let's go ahead and get that later on in the tournament just in case he is closer to contention because he's seen, especially at Southern Hills, where if he, he does have the early late, it can have some pretty uh, harsh consequences come Saturday and Sunday. If we think that Tiger Woods didn't get to 
pick his tea times were nuts. <laughs> That's right. I, I know. I guarantee you he had input on that. And and the the whole thing is, is we can make a deal out of it one way or the other, but he's got to play four days. Uh, he's got to prove to me he can play four days, whether it's late, early, early, late, no matter what the conditions. He's got to prove to me that his body will hold up for four days before we can sit and talk about the tiger we used to know. That, that's all I've got. That's, he just got to prove it to me. And I'm, I'm pulling for him. I hope he can, but I worry. I still worry. Yeah, I worry too. And it's going to be great TV to watch this weekend, hopefully on the weekend with Tiger Woods, it's at least tomorrow, like I said, at 2 p.m. our time I will definitely be tuning in to watch me some Tiger Woods. Guys, last thing I want to get to here on the podcast is we had Full Swing, the Netflix PGA Tour documentary uh, recapping last year. It released last night in the middle of the night. So this morning I wake up and I realize that the 73rd hole made a cameo in Full Swing. In the middle of the first episode on Full Swing, uh, you can see myself and my man Jared Gallagher, uh, who does a great job for Red Dirt Collective. You guys should go follow him on Twitter as well. But we're standing there in the press room at the uh, PGA Championship, T-Dub, and uh, we can get into Full Swing. I've only watched the first two episodes. It doesn't go in chronological order. It goes... uh, uh, basically, they follow a couple guys uh, each episode. In the first episode, it was Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth. And so they followed Justin Thomas's win, obviously, at Southern Hills. And it was a really great show. I- I've enjoyed the first couple episodes. We can get into that. But it's pretty cool to uh, make my Netflix debut, T-Dub. Yeah, by far the best cameo of the year. Whenever we do the Holies at the end of the year, we'll add a new one, which will be cameo of the year. And you will undoubtedly win <laughs> that award, Sam. So, so congratulations on that. That was super cool. One thing that I was interested, I guess I just kind of had a, a misrepresentation of what was going to happen. They released every episode on a t- t- or last night at midnight. I, I thought they were going to do it like a week at a time type thing. So, I mean, we go in and just binge, binge watch it all. I haven't been able to start watching yet. I probably will today or tomorrow, but I've seen a few things on Twitter. I've kind of tried not to look super into it just because I want to see everything, uh, j- just interpret it myself. I did see a, a clip where, where Rory says F you Phil, and he doesn't say F, he says the actual word. So I think that's, it's funny at least to say the least. Uh, and who knows exactly all the context. Seems like it's more in a funny manner, but I don't know, Woody. I feel like that it's, uh, especially with all the stuff that Sam uh, had mentioned with seeing it with Brooks Kepka and all the stuff going on there, it uh, seems like we're going to get to see a little bit uh, deeper dive into these players, maybe more so than we thought before. I hope so. That I, well, The whole idea behind this was to, to show these guys in a di- different atmosphere, in a different place than where they've been. So if this show doesn't do that, I'm going to be disappointed in it. I'm also going to tell you guys to give our listeners a little bit of a reason to listen to our recap next week. Have a real good Riviera story for you boys. So we didn't have time today for it, but I got a real good one. In fact, I've got about five from Riviera. I could talk about Riviera forever, but uh, what well, you can't just leave us perfect. hanging for an entire week. You got to tell us the Riviera story. We can get back to Netflix. Netflix is on there forever. What's the Riviera story? <laughs> Well, in 86, when I told you I was a club pro, I was working in a place called Wood Ranch. I had qualified to play the LA Open. On Sunday, my final round, 
I got paired with a guy named Denny Hempler, which that didn't matter to most people. You wouldn't even have a clue who he was. He just a, a guy played the tour for a few years. His caddy, though, was Herman Mitchell. Herman Mitchell was Lee Trevino's full-time caddy, probably the best caddy that ever walked the face of the earth for the longest time. Great guy. Big old fat black guy that was just as fun to be around as you can imagine. Well, I played 18 holes that day, and after I finished that round, Herman Mitchell came up to me, and he said, Son, I'm not sure why you're at where you're at. Don't care where you're at. Where you need to be at is right here every week. So after that tournament, and he put that in my mind, I thought, Wow, you know, I have made pretty good progress. I'm not a bad golfer. Well, by the end of 1986 and going into 87, guess what? I turned pro and decided I was going to try the PGA Tour, thanks to Herman Mitchell and the Riviera L.A. Open. That is a great story, that Woody. That cool. I didn't, I've never heard you tell that story. That's big time. That, that is crazy that you can, you know, kind of date it back to that one point where it changed your mindset. And kind of relating this back to what I was about to talk about on Netflix is the second episode, it follows Scotty Scheffler and Brooks Kepka, and it really shows how deep and dark of a place Brooks Kepka was in last year trying to, you know, battle back from injury and really struggling on the greens. He was, you know, just banging five foot putt after five foot putt out at the medalist, just, you know, MFing himself saying, you know, I'm the worst putter in the world and all of this stuff. It seemed like he got in a really dark place. Um, and obviously by the end of the season, he won at Live Jetta at Saudi, um, but guys, I mean, the, you don't realize when you just see these guys on TV and Woody talking about how that one moment changed his mindset. Brooks Kepka talked about that on the Netflix show. He goes, "I just need that one swing thought that eases my mind, basically." And I mean, yeah. I just think it's interesting to see that type of stuff and good insight there from Brooks Kepka. Uh, without a doubt, that's how quickly it can change. And, and the only reason why, Sam, that meant so much to me is Herman Mitchell has been caddy for Lee Trevino. Lee Trevino is one of the best ball strikers that has ever walked the face of the planet. And for this guy to say to me, hey, you're way too good to be a club pro, it just it just made me walk on air. I said, well, maybe I am that. So, uh, And later that year, I won the California State Open. Then I won the Southern California State Open. I, I started winning every golf tournament. I seemed like I after that because I thought, well, I'm a badass. Herman Mitchell thinks I'm pretty good. So, yeah, I mean, it's amazing how much that, that one thing will change your whole attitude. Go ahead, Well, what's crazy about it, too, is that, that as you mentioned earlier, Woody, it's, it's the confidence that it can instill into you. And the, the fact of it, it's like it's some Joe Smo goes down and tells you, you should be on the PJ Tour. You think, oh, okay, you know, so be it. But someone who has been there, and has seen the best players at their game, it's like you take what they say at a higher value. It's it's sort of kind of like the opposite, right? If he had said, you know, you deserve to be a tour pro or a, a club pro, you're never going to be – you're not any better than that. It's like it would have been deflating to you, right? So it's it's kind of funny how it can go both ways. Like no one's going to really say that unless you're just a mega asshole. But it, it, it's cool that, that you can – like you said, you can go back to that. You can remember that moment because you've been able to do such, such great things on the golf course. But, you know, it seems like you can – 
kind of you go get the breadcrumbs laying down, you go back, and that was the moment where a lot of things changed for you. And that's uh, that's super. Most of the stories you say, Woody, are, are really funny and comical, but that one is pretty inspirational. And I appreciate you sharing. I'm glad we didn't have to wait wait a week to hear that. So thank you, Sam, for for urging Woody to to tell that one. I can tell you a funny one next week about Riviera if you want me. To. <laughs> that was that Don't was do that. We'll that was a that big one. moment in my life. Is why I want you guys to realize that that Riviera is special to me. It's really special to me. I love that place. That is awesome stuff there from Oak Tree Nationals' own Jim Woodward. The last couple things I have written down here on the Netflix series is. Yes, it does have its remedial moments where it's explaining, you know, how a golf tournament works and how many people make the cut or, you know, how much money these guys make if they uh, miss the cut, which is zero dollars, obviously. There's some remedial moments, but if you're a true golf fan, it also has moments where you're like, wow, I didn't realize that Brooks Kepka would be in his living room, you know, using a Sam putting lab, really trying to grind on this stuff. I, I thought he was a guy that didn't really care just went home and sat by the pool, you know? Uh, so I think it, it has, it appeals to all, whether you're a casual golf fan or a golf nerd like us. Uh, T-Dub, any, you know, final thoughts on what you want to see from the Netflix series? It just seems like from everything that I have heard about it, it, it is what we wanted and more. And it seems like it's not going to be the PGA Tour propaganda machine that that was for a little bit of time. I thought that's what it was going to be. It's definitely and not it seems that. Like it was, it, it, they are leaning into the controversy for sure. And, and I, I like from the aspect that you mentioned of, yeah, yes, it's a little little redundant for us to hear about who makes the cut and all that. But for people who don't know golf or getting into it, they don't know those things. And I, I like that, that, that they are going to be able to do that to get more to what we talk about growing the game. Because there's going to be a lot of people who, who have never played golf before, don't know anything about it. But like they said, they watch the F1 series. They're like, oh, well, I'm going to check this out about golf. And it's probably going to get a lot of people into it. So I'm extremely excited what this documentary series has to offer, and I can't wait to, to I can't wait to start watching it because I want to uh, deep dive in all this. And a lot of people, uh, from what I've seen on Twitter, really like the one the episode that had Tony Finau in it, and they they really just they say it showed how great of a guy that he is. So I'm really excited to watch that one, and, and just to, like I mentioned, just to see the other side of these guys, right? Because they're, they're people just like we are. They aren't robots, and the Bruce Kepa thing also proves that people think that that you're going to go to live, or you you were thinking about going to live at the time. That doesn't mean you don't care about the game. You don't want to be better. It literally kept him up at night. Like, he couldn't even think straight because his golf game wasn't where it needs to be. So anyone who's saying that these guys don't care, if you're on the PGA Tour, you more than likely care more than anyone ever thinks that you would. No doubt about it. I can't wait to get into the series even more. We'll have the full recap of it next week. I'm sure I'll finish it uh, all the way through throughout the week. Uh, guys, thank you so much for joining us today on the 73rd hole. For Taylor Williams and Jim Woodward, this has been Sam Humphreys. I do want to remind everybody again that we're back on Sunday for the radio show here in Oklahoma City on 98.1 FM, the sports animal from 10 a.m. to noon every single Sunday through the Ryder Cup. So join us there and call in and text in, and we're having a great time on Sundays. We'll be back next week for our Riviera recap. Uh, what a great time here on Oklahoma's Leader in Golf, the 73rd hole, which is the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Oh, my God.